Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a software company that enables life science companies to augment their teams with the right expertise at the right time in order to accelerate and de-risk the development of new therapies. I'm very excited to welcome Jim Burns, the CEO of Locana, and Kathy Bishop, Locana's CSO. Thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thank you, Rule. We appreciate the invitation. So we'd love to start off just with each of your backgrounds and how you got to where you are today. Jim, I'll start with you. So I'm a bioengineer by training. I actually have an undergraduate in biology. And early on, I realized that what I really like is to make things. And so I decided to go into bioengineering. That's what I got my PhD. I did a postdoc in material science and engineering working on drug delivery. And my intent was to go into drug delivery ultimately as a career move. I ended up going into a uh, biotech company, which was very young at the time, called Genzyme, and started up the biomaterials group uh, for Genzyme, working on ophthalmic products as well as surgical products. And over a period of time, the, you know, that work was uh, relatively successful and ended up heading up what was called drug and biomaterials R&D within a biotech company, uh, Genzyme. We were acquired uh, by Sanofi in 2011. And the reason I mentioned this is because that got me into a, a role which was more operational, ultimately, in terms of being in charge of what Sanofi called the North America R&D hub. But I also had responsibility within Genzyme for a period of time for its R&D organization. And anyone that knows anything about Genzyme knows that I had a lot of different technology platforms, and that included tissue engineering, cell therapies, gene therapies, and protein therapies. So became quite enamored with the idea of genetic medicine at that time, and plus the, its application in, in the rare disease space. But after a while, I, you know, I really yearned for a smaller, more entrepreneurial environment again, like the early days of, of Genzyme. So I went into a startup company called Casibia, which was a joint venture between CRISPR Therapeutics and Bayer. And that was working in the gene editing space. And that was a lot of fun building that organization from scratch, advancing the program, some very tough programs in terms of gene editing. And I just love that role as a CEO of a startup and building the company from scratch. So when that ultimately got rolled up into CRISPR, I thought, well, you know what, I want to try this again. And after looking at a number of different possibilities, I landed on Locana. I just thought uh, it was a really cool story. And that was just about uh, six months ago. And since then, we've been building out the organization and getting it ready for the, its next phase of growth. Great. Thanks, Jim. Kathy, hand it over to you. We'd love to learn about your background as well. Great. Thanks. So my background starts with a PhD in neuroscience, which I got from the University of Alberta in Edmonton. I'm originally from Canada. And then I moved down to San Diego to do my postdoc at the Salk Institute in Molecular Biology. Decided I like San Diego, so have been working in San Diego Biotech for about the last 20 years. My first position was actually at a gene therapy startup. I like to say back before gene therapy got really popular, and this was back in the early 2000s. And this was a company called Seragene. I headed up preclinical pharmacology and preclinical toxicology and development. We were working on using the AAV vector uh, to treat a series of neurological disorders and retinal degenerations, such as Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, Huntington's, and retinitis pigmentosa. 
So I was there for about eight and a half years, which was a great stint for a startup. I started as employee number two, first scientist, and kind of had a great ride there and learned a lot about startup biotech. From there, I went to Ionis Pharmaceuticals, where I was there for about seven years, and along with Frank Bennett, really established the neurology franchise at Ionis. I headed up development of Spinraza for the treatment of spinal muscular atrophy, which is now um, on the market through Biogen and really uh, helping enormous number of infants and children with spinal muscular atrophy. In addition to that, I worked on a number of other neurological diseases within the AntiSense pipeline, including genetic ALS, both SOD1 ALS and C9 ALS, which are the two most common genetic forms of ALS as well as Huntington's disease and myotonic dystrophy, where I led the first clinical trial for a therapeutic that was disease-modifying in that field. From Ionis, I then went on to become CSO at a couple of other companies, Tioga Pharmaceuticals, which was focused on severe pruritus, and then most recently, Autonomy, which is a company focused on treating otological disorders, including hearing loss and balance disorders, such as Meniere's disease. And then like Jim, I had heard about Lacana um, and joined in the fall of 2019, so about nine months ago. To me, it really married my experience both in gene therapy and RNA modulation technologies. And I was really attracted by the power of combining those two technologies, which is what we're doing now at Locana. Awesome. I think that's a great segue to learning a bit more about Locana and, and the work that's happening there, as well as the founding story. It's, yeah. a, it's a great story. It starts with Gene uh, Yao, a professor at University of California, San Diego. And he had the insight to do some work with CRISPR-Cas9 in a different way. Uh, he mutated it so that it would actually bind to and edit RNA and not DNA. And he immediately realized the power of that. You know, what if you could actually modulate RNA without affecting DNA and changing the genome? And he looked at what would be some of the applications for this. And the, one of the first ones that he looked at is in what's called repeat expansion diseases. You designed, designed a system to uh, be able to uh, basically destroy RNA, toxic RNA that was coming from a mutant form of the DMPK gene or the myotonic dystrophy protein kinase gene. And Professor Yao was able to convince investors to put some money into this to see whether it could actually be reduced to practice in vivo. His initial work had already been published within Cell and got a lot of attention. And through an initial seed round, which is the typical VC route for getting these things off the ground, a very small group of scientists, some from Lucana Bio, were able to actually show that this could work in vivo in an animal model of myotonic dystrophy or DM1. By the way, this work has recently been published in Nature Biomedical Engineering. So this is very powerful, you know, to go from a very early concept in vitro uh, with a system that was mutated just to prove a concept on whether you could modify RNA to treat disease and be able to show you you can do that in vitro, ex vivo, and get money to then reduce that to practice in vivo and then to be successful. And that ultimately was how Lucana came to be able to get a Series A, a very successful 55 million Series A raised just a little bit over, over a year ago. And now, you know, we're moving in many different directions, uh, including the repeat expansion area, which you'll, you'll hear more about. 
So I, I think that's a, been a, a really great story and it shows how important academic research is to getting things going and how important it is to be entrepreneurial enough to start a company so that you can then translate that idea into something that can ultimately get into animals and hopefully uh, people at some point uh, to be able to show that it can actually work. And in this case, work to treat diseases that don't currently have cures. Great. And slightly on a tangent, if you think about, you know, the, the overall ecosystem in academia, as well as in biotech, you know, are there things that you think are missing in terms of more work being the basis of biotech companies that are coming out from academia? You know, if you had a wish list of how do we improve perhaps either productivity or increase the number of companies that are being formed out of academia, anything in either of your minds that, that you think is missing, but that could be quite powerful if it existed? Well, I'll, I'll take a stab at that first. And Kathy, you probably have, have some thoughts on it as well. But I think having the mindset of a researcher who's you know, a postdoc, for example, of not being just an individual contributor, but someone that's part of a team that's trying to develop the work to a point where it actually is something that can get translated. I, I think that's something that we could probably do better at. And I think there, there are places that do a really nice job of that, of bringing together more of a team perspective on the science, that it's not just about doing the experiment, but it's also about doing an experiment that can be part of something that's going to progress. And that usually requires more of a team type of environment and thinking about how you progress that. I think universities could do a better job at that, as opposed to just always thinking about the science as being more of an individual uh, contributor type of role. And I know I'm exaggerating that in terms of how that happens, but I think there is an element of that. So I think that's one thing. And I, I think the relationship between divisioners, you know, sponsored researchers within academia and potential entrepreneurs or other, other companies, I think is something that we could also work on to ensure that it has the mindset of let's, let's make sure that we can somehow translate this technology into something that can, that can help people in, the, in a way that's a win-win for everybody. Kathy, any, anything else you'd like to add uh, to that question? Yeah. Expand a little bit on uh, what Jim mentioned. Actually, you Spinraza an example. So Spinraza was actually the concept for it, um, the spice modification antisense, was originally the idea of Adrian Kramer at Cold Spring Harbor Lab. So it came out of an academic institution. And he came to Ionis with this idea, but we had a very, very close collaboration with Adrian for several years as we tested this in mouse models and screened through to find better antisense sequences. So it was a years long, very collaborative relationship, like Jim was saying, is really needed. So that's a great example of how this really works. Um, but other institutions, and I've had other experiences where there's just really institutional barriers to that type of collaboration. Uh, mostly on the side of university institutions, unfortunately. And it isn't really drug development, I like to say, is this team sport. So being able to collaborate, work together closely over several years, even after an idea is either helped to form a company or transferred into a company, is really important to moving the science into therapeutics that will help people. And that's not always possible, and I think that's where work needs to be done. Some very interesting food for thought for our listeners. So we'd love to understand, you know, what brought each of you to Locana? Very early stage, had just raised a large Series A. What was what was exciting to you about the potential of Locana? 
you know, for me, it was the science. And I have to say, initially, I was skeptical about the science. You know, I had just come from an organization, Conceivia, that was working in the gene editing space. So I was already sold on genetic diseases and I was sold on genetic medicines. So I wanted to stay in, in that field and, and help build a, an organization again. And I was looking for something that had really compelling science. And I looked at Lucana. Interestingly, I got a call the same day for three companies that were working in the RNA space. And Locana was one of them. And I was a little suspect until I met Kathy. And Kathy had just been hired by Locana. And I was so impressed with the fact that somebody that has her track record of being able to translate science into products was convinced about the science. Uh, that really was powerful for me. Kathy and I talk about this one, so I, I had an aha moment in speaking with her when I realized, ah, this really is very powerful. It wasn't what I was actually thinking it was. So the science is very compelling. The right people in an organization is hugely important. And uh, having Kathy as the leader for the CSO was a big deal for me. And the investors in the board comes from the investors. It's an excellent board. We have great investors that really understand the space and they're long-term. And they're there for us to make sure that uh, we're going to be successful. So when you put all that together, I found that it was something that was just really hard to resist. And so, Kathy, since you had such an integral part in bringing Jim on board, what brought you to look on it? So um, I've been aware of working in San Diego Biotech and it's a San Diego company out of UCSD. I had been a little bit aware of Wakanda just on the periphery. Then I got approached by someone I had worked with at Sarah Jean for a long time. And for me, it really combined uh, the power of AAV gene therapy, which I worked in and knew very well for eight years, along with the power of being able to modulate at the RNA level, which I'd worked in for almost seven years at Ionis. And so I think combined, the combination of those two technologies really attracted me. With recent approvals, um, not only Spinraza, but other drug approvals for RNA-modifying medications has really, I think, shown that targeting at the RNA level both can really translate into positive effects in patients' lives and is also a fruitful way of developing products. And so that marriage of the gene therapy with the RNA modification really attracted me. Uh, like Jim, I also like the people. So Gene Yao at UCSD is a great collaborator. He's still very involved with the company. Um, he's a great scientist. I love talking science with him. And then really like the board and the strong, high-quality venture capital companies that had backed the company to that point. Uh, for me personally, also, it was a chance to go back to where I started, which was a small stage early biotech and really have a chance to influence the science in the direction of the company. Great, thanks, Kathy. And so now that the science of Locana was what drew you both in, in large part, we'd love if you could introduce us to the work that's happening at, at Locana. So as Jim mentioned, the company was originally founded off the discovery gene made around the CRISPR-RCAS9 system being able to modulate RNA. More recently, though, we've added to our repertoire of RNA targeting systems beyond this system, and we worked with a couple of new sets of RNA modulation systems that I think are really powerful. The original work really showed the potential of this type of approach, and especially the in vivo data that the company had generated prior to this Series A really showed the proof of concept in animal model of myotonic dystrophy that this was possible. 
Since then, we've expanded our repertoire and we work with another set of proteins called Cas13Ds that are specifically target RNA rather than DNA. And we have a whole menu of those we can choose from and work with. In addition to that, we also work with a very different set of RNA binding proteins that are human derived, so they may have a better safety potential, and they're also modular, so they can be programmed to bind and target any sequence of RNA that we desire. These RNA binding proteins, we can then marry with nuclease to do different functions. For example, we can bind them to an endonuclease, which will cause RNA destruction. So we're not just one technology or one RNA binding protein. I think what I like about our technology is that we have these menu, um, pretty large menu of different RNA modulation systems that we can really rapidly screen through and find the best one for any given disease target at the RNA level. What was also attractive about these systems is they also have broad versatility to modulate RNA using a range of different mechanisms. So as Jim mentioned, we can destroy toxic RNA. This can be a toxic repeat RNA in the case of myotonic dystrophy or Huntington's disease or C9 ALS, but it can also be a non-repeat RNA, which opens up a whole host of other targets that we can modulate. In addition to RNA detection, though, the system is very flexible, so we can also modulate splicing, which may be important for diseases such as DMD or ushers. We can also enhance translation, which would be important for haploinsufficiency diseases. And in that case, the target would be just to increase translation at the RNA level by about one and a half or twofold just to get back to wild-type levels, and our technology allows us to do that. And then finally, because our systems are very, very small and they fit easily fit within the packaging capacity of a single AAV vector, we can also do things like knock down and replace with a single AAV. So this would be really, really useful for diseases such as autosomal dominant retinitis pigmentosa, where there's over 150 dominant mutations that cause the disease. With a single AV, we could knock out those mutated RNAs and at the same time replace with wild-type rhodopsin. And then finally, the last mechanism we have in our repertory is we can also enable RNA editing, which would be useful for point mutation genetic diseases. Um, what's a little bit different about RNA editing, those were not editing at the DNA level, so we would not cause permanent alterations in a patient's DNA. So it certainly seems like a very powerful platform with lots of potential for expansion into several different indications. And we touched on the pipeline as you see it. You know, what does the next year or two years look like for Locano now? Well, I think if uh, you know, you'd think about the power and the flexibility of the platform from what you heard from from Kathy, you can imagine that we could go in a lot of different directions in terms yeah. of the types of diseases. Having said that, we're going to be very focused in the early days on these repeat expansion diseases for myotonic dystrophy in the neuromuscular area, in the neurodegeneration area. There are repeat expansion diseases that uh, are easy to think about, and we're already doing work to show that we can uh, reduce our systems to 
of practice. These would be CAG repeat diseases, which include Huntington's disease as, as well as uh, SCA1. And then there's also other repeat expansion diseases such as hexanucleotide repeats, for example, C9 or 72 gene, which has uh, implications for familial ALS as well as FTD. So we think there's, there's a lot that we can do with these systems in those types of disease areas. And what's beautiful about our approach is that I just mentioned several different diseases, but really you only need to have two or three different systems that work in those diseases and you're able to, or for those repeat expansion mutations, and you're able to address multiple diseases. So there's a great efficiency there. One area I think is really exciting that Kathy mentioned is not only destroying mutant and dysfunctional RNA, but also then replacing it with a, a normal gene. And uh, we have that ability to be able to do that because of the um, size of some of our systems can all fit within a given AV platform, including the gene that we might want to deliver. So we're really excited about, about that as well. I think what you're going to see over the next uh, 12 months is that we'll be talking about having multiple candidates that we've selected for uh, IND enabling studies and have a line of sight to multiple INDs and therefore clinical programs in the near future af after that. Great. Thanks, Jim. You know, given that there's so much that you could do within the platform and so many different directions that you can go, how do you guys think about each experiment that you run and potential efficiencies that that experiment could have on, let's say, other directions that you want to go? Or is it right now, are you just thinking, we're just focusing on these one or two things and everything else we'll get to later? Just what, you know, what's the, what's the mental model or framework that you all apply there? So I have a background of having twice worked at, we kind of call platform companies, although some people don't like to call them that. So early on when I was at Saragene, it was when gene therapy was very new and we kind of had to decide where to go in terms of lentivirus versus AAV and what AAV. So there's a lot of platform build out work. And then similarly, Ionis is really a platform company working in antisense. So coming to Lacana, I really like that challenge of both having programs that you drive forward and the same time building out a platform and using the data that you learn from one experiment in one area, applying it across the platform and across the programs to really help them grow. So with the team, and we've actually now built really a great scientific team that I'm very excited about both in RNA biology, neuroscience research, and also AV vector expertise. We work really closely together to um, not only drive those programs forward, but use any data that comes out of that, be really science-driven, focused on the data and what it's telling us that, and apply that to the platform in the next series of experiments. And I think with any new technology, um, which I've been fortunate to work in three times in my career, um, with any new technology, it's really important to pay attention to the science and use that science to help move the technology forward. Great. Thanks, Kathy. And so we'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, we're in this very unique age of biotech right now. And I think we're advancing science at a much faster pace than we have previously. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what's next for gene therapy now. 
Yeah, no, I think that we're really in this extremely interesting time in genetic medicines. And uh, we, we see where things are going with gene editing and RNA therapies. You know, where I see us going with gene therapy is that it's, it's going to evolve for a period of time here from being a means for delivering proteins that in and of themselves are therapeutic to being a part of a system that allows you to treat dysfunction. And in our case, it's uh, treating dysfunctional RNA in potentially many different ways that I don't think anyone thought that you could do with uh, a modular system before. So I, I see this as something that will continue to evolve. And I would love to be able to say that 10 years from now or, or more, that just like we are saying that we're building on what's the successes with gene therapy and uh, gene editing, that many, many years from now, people will say, you know, wasn't this great that this work was done on targeting our dysfunctional RNA using AV systems for delivering the proteins that actually then bind to the RNA and do the work. It's going to open up a whole new way of thinking about therapeutics. So I, I think that's, you know, just thinking down the road, a very exciting opportunity that I, I hope that we're going to be uh, presenting for the field of genetic medicine. And if we think about, you know, all the potential, what are some of the hurdles that you think we as an industry will face as we try to progress gene therapy? I think with any um, new technology, it's important to be realistic about the hurdles in the timeline. Actually, I'll use AntiSense. Ionis, I think now has been around for 30 years and they work very, very hard to make that technology work. But anytime, and similarly with AAV gene therapy, um, I've been around in the field for many, many years. And again, it's, it takes a long time, 10, 20 years to get something moving forward. Um, there's always unexpected challenges when you're trying to do something new and transformational. But there's certainly, as Jim mentioned, real rewards in terms of not only treating genetic diseases, which we're doing with these technologies now, but moving beyond genetic to non-genetic diseases. So I just think it's being realistic about uh, the challenges, being really rigorous in paying attention to the data and the science and not what you wish it told you, but really what it's telling you in front of your eyes and using that information to move new technologies like that forward. And if we look beyond genetic diseases, do you think that the work that's that's happening right now has potential in other areas? Well, I, I certainly do. And you wouldn't start in those areas. You would start just like we are with uh, rare genetic diseases where the potential impact that you have is huge as you're figuring out uh, whether or not that there are risks there. Once you've been able to establish that, then I think the application for this, as Kathy pointed out, for non-genetic diseases will, will come very quickly. And I think because of the advances that we're making across the genetic medicines area, that, that we may get there before we think. Uh, so we're, we'll keep our eyes on that. What ultimately we're going to be adding to our portfolio outside of the genetic disease area once the time is right. Great. Well, Jim and Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time to share your personal journeys with us, as well as the exciting entrepreneurial work that's occurring at, at Locana. Best of luck in the coming months, and, and we look forward to following your progress. Great. Thanks, Royal. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech 2050 pod. 
Again, that's Biotech 2050 POD. Until next time.